0: From the editors of Cannabis Business Times and the team at Quest, this is How to Win a Cannabis Cultivation License, a new limited series that focuses on this integral process, a starting line for all of us in the industry. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Business Times. We're pleased to bring you an in-depth look at the licensing process in the cannabis industry, over 10 episodes, as things stand in 2021. This is Episode 7. This week, we're turning our attention to Oklahoma, one of the newer medical cannabis markets in the US and the source of more cannabis cultivation licenses issued in 2020 than any other state. California was right behind Oklahoma in terms of pure numbers, but the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority has been on a tear. As of early May, 2021, the OMMA has issued 7,635 medical cannabis cultivation licenses. And as of the same time, the state has registered more than 360,000 medical cannabis patients. In just under three years since Oklahoma voters approved State Question 788 in the summer of 2018, this market has blossomed out of thin air. In many ways, the story of medical cannabis in Oklahoma is much like the story of Oklahoma itself. The strong and creative prevail. Resonant cultivation based just south of Oklahoma City in Pauls Valley, knows the story well. The company picked up its first license in September 2018. In the wake of the vote that summer, the company's co-founding team knew they had to act fast. Chief Financial Officer Joe Hendricks says that the promise of a medical cannabis market, with all its financial and compliance context framing a burgeoning new industry, seemed like a perfect fit for the team's skill set. The morning after the vote, they were off to the races.
1: Our group is um, was built for a reason, with um, at least everybody having their role in their lane, so we can kind of all work well together, but also not, you know, squabble over decisions, small decisions, and things like that. But um, the morning after, so I, I vividly remember this text message that came in on June 27, 2018, from one of my uh, close friends that uh, met in college, and uh, that, you know, we'd just been on our paths in our professional careers, and, you know, the law changed, and then he texted me and said, hey, I'm putting a team together, and I'm going to need an account. Are you ready to, to, to jump in and help? And so that kind of led this path for me to come down to this, but along the way, um, he also, his name's Reed Colley, a good friend of mine, and um, put together uh, some other partners of ours who he had grown up with who were interested in the cultivation side of the business. So one had experience growing in California in their medical program. And um, his brother uh, was one who's just absolutely the nuts and bolts guy that, you know, he there's no job too big, no job too small, um, just will jump in and, and help with anything going on at the facility. And it's such an important role to have. So, you know, we built this team, started down the path together, um, you know, June, July, 2018. And really the early discussions we had was kind of defining why did we want to go do this? What was our goal? Um, and And we've always come back to the patient first of when we make decisions, it's always about, okay, how do we enhance the experience
0: for patients? Like we've heard from guests throughout the series, the why is critical. In the early stages of planning a cannabis business endeavor, it's vital to identify and understand why you want to do this. It's a competitive industry that remains federally illegal, and it's a complex net of horticulture, biochemistry, distribution, politics, and consumer-facing retail. Passion for the plant is important, and finding ways to express that passion is a particular objective for anyone entering the space. For resonant cultivation, it came back to the patient every time the question was posed. But this isn't always an easy calculus. Never mind the federal illegality of the plant. This is still at times a fairly charged political issue, even on a more local level. Hendricks knows the Oklahoma electorate and its many communities. While state voters passed the medical cannabis question in 2018, of course, many voted against the measure. Whether in the form of political stigma, or regulatory restrictions, there's a host of possible obstacles that can arise in the industry in many forms, and many of them being rather unique to this space. Again, this is where passion comes into play, the why behind your business plan.
1: If you think about Oklahoma in 2018 and early Oklahoma in 2021, one of the most conservative states in the country. And so having one of the most liberal medical programs come through all of a sudden really shook things up. And I think for the better, because it also is, we've learned that there are a lot of people who are passionate about cannabis in Oklahoma. Um, it's not a demographic thing, it's just widespread. And so we really wanted to make sure that we could set a good example, be a great industry player and help lead the industry you know, as we continue to develop
0: over time. Leading the industry takes many shapes. Chief among them may be an ability to play by the rules because rules after all, are the backbone of the state legal cannabis space. These early years, even seven years after the first sales began in Colorado and Washington, are something of an experiment. Each state hazards its own way into new territory. And, by and large, of course, it's going well. But business is booming and research is blossoming, mostly because market entrants are playing by the rules. In the industry parlance, the word is compliance, and you'll hear it again and again at any successful cultivation facility. It's the cornerstone. And the cannabis business license application is often a company's first chance to reveal just how compliant it can be when presented with the rules. That's what this whole series is about. But in Oklahoma, as Hendricks will explain, the state's political and cultural history have created a more free market approach. It's an important part of the Oklahoma story, like we've said, but the rulemaking structure is less clear, and it was particularly loose in the very early days of the state. That just makes compliance all the more important.
1: We have built a culture of compliance in our organization where we followed the rules and sometimes the rules are hard to identify how we're following because there may not be as much guidance as we'd like, but that culture of compliance where it's following the rules, doing the right thing, making sure our employees know that it starts at the top is just setting that example from from top down and, and I think for any cannabis organization, especially as new markets come online, it's really important to adopt that compliant mentality from day one. That way as rules change, regulations come out, you're able to adapt quickly and and it doesn't completely
0: disrupt the flow. It gets harder to settle into an adaptive mindset later on as pretty much any adult will tell you about life in general. So it pays incredible dividends to stay limber in the licensing process. Oklahoma kept the door wide open for prospective business owners Although in the fall of 2021, the state intends to clamp down a bit on its rampant license distribution, with a newly passed law that would drop the number of active cannabis cultivation licenses to 5,000. Active is defined in the bill as a business taking in at least $5,000 in sales and maintaining at least 50 plants each month. The bill was sent to the governor's desk May 17th, the week that this episode was published. But that's the thing. All U.S. cannabis markets have retooled their regulatory approach to some degree. Oklahoma may have started out in 2018 with a wide open stance on medical cannabis, but it's time now to dial things in a bit. Resonant Cultivation's early culture of compliance is going to be key here, even if early on the rules weren't as rigid.
1: There were some things that were clear. There are also a lot of things that were very vague that we, going into the process, weren't really for sure how it was going to shake out. Um, so you know, I, I've observed in other states when a medical program comes online that it gets bogged down in policy and regulation and build out where it ends up taking, you know, years before a program truly can launch. And and sometimes it just stagnates to where it's never really successful. Um, you know, in Oklahoma, that one of the interesting parts of, of state question 788 was that they basically gave the state 30 days to release clear guidelines for applications and to essentially launch a program within 30 days on a measure that most people didn't think was going to pass. And so I think the state from day one was somewhat scurrying to get caught up. Um, you know, 30 days is not a lot of time. Um, in the middle of the summer, you know, trying to launch that. And so it it was, I think, for us as an industry, a blessing and, and somewhat a curse because it got thrown together so quickly that I think certain things that maybe could have been more thought out, you know, more strategic in terms of of the layout uh, and and the outlay of the program could have probably helped the industry be a little bit more structured up front with, you know, testing and, um, you know, just, you know, black market, you know, those different things that we all know probably from early on were happening here. But um, so that 30 day window is where we started to see a lot of, a lot of action going on. There was, um, you know, There'd be an interpretation of a rule you know i remember early on um, we were doing some tours up in another state at some other grows, just kind of you know uh, making some relationships and friends was that um, the the OMA issued its guidance and it may have been actually the department of health at the time that said a licensed pharmacist had to be you know physically located at every retail location um, and others were like thc caps on products and i think it was like maybe 15 percent. you know really really things that weren't going to make the industry conducive to success. I mean, those are big limitations. And so there was a lot of uncertainty in those first 30 days of what the program was going to look like. And and we committed to, you know, from a from an availability of a license, you know, Oklahoma is a complete free market in terms of if you have $2,500 and you haven't, you know, you don't have any violent felonies in the past few years and you meet some res- residency requirements, you're going to get a license, whether it's to be a retailer, a processor, or um, cultivator.
0: Easy enough. And so these episodes with Joe Hendricks and resonant cultivation may be slightly different than the rest in this series, just based on how Oklahoma set up its gatekeeping structure. But you'll see as the narrative goes on how new guardrails were put in place along the way. Hendricks says that he and the team traveled to other states in those early days to take the temperature of more established cannabis markets and learn what could work in Oklahoma and what might not work.
1: You know, we were fortunate along the way to meet uh, a lot of folks in the industry in, in multiple states. And, um, to and you know, early on, we were all about just trying to be a sponge, ask questions and listen. And so we got great feedback um, really from, you know, I, I guess the three states that we probably looked at um, in terms of where we had relationships and new folks was um, Colorado, California and Oregon were, were the three that we were able to kind of uh, you know, picks of people's brains. And, you know, the things that we learned was that, you know, as as they asked us questions about Oklahoma's program and they realized how loose it was, the, the message, the consistent message that we kept getting was it's going to tighten up. So you need to operate this tight already with that culture of compliance with, you know, we didn't we didn't have at the time a metric program and metrics you know supposed to be online this summer in Oklahoma, but we really implemented that seed to sell program from day one because we realized that it's coming. And I'm glad we did because now we have records going back to every crop that shows you know, every step along the way when we weren't really you know, and didn't have some mandatory requirement to do so early on. And so that was one example Was kind of just anticipating the, the, the regulatory environment to start tightening up. And with again, with so many licenses in Oklahoma, I think that that is probably something that needs to happen for both, you know, compliance, and then also just you know, to help, um, you know, help patients ensure that they're getting quality products in their hands. Um, but, you know, that was probably one of the biggest things was just seeing where the compliant zone was going to head. I mean, if you think about, you know, obviously, the California and Oregon have some pretty tight requirements, and I know Colorado has kind of ebbed and flowed over time, um, was that and, you know, the other area that we really leaned heavily on, you know, my background is in finance and accounting and we brought in um, a group of CPAs from Colorado who specialized in the industry and really spent a lot of time with them early on, kind of understanding, you know, hearing their story and hearing how the industry's evolved in in their state. And and they worked in multiple states, so they kind of had a really good feedback. And I would encourage anybody who's going through this process early on is to engage with, you know, good professional counsel, whether it be um, accountants or or legal, to really just understand where this industry is going to head
0: Unlike anything else before it, Quest's groundbreaking compressor wall technology takes a modular, scalable, and redundant approach to dehumidification, heating, and cooling. It combines multiple compact refrigeration circuits into a powerful compressor wall array, delivering up to 32 stages of performance in a unitary solution. This allows the system to dynamically deliver the exact conditions required for growing cannabis and brilliantly conserve energy in the process. No over-drying or over-cooling, regardless of plant size or stage of growth, day or night. This all-in-one solution is easy and inexpensive to install, has multiple stages of redundancy, weighs 50% as much as comparable systems, and utilizes a proprietary eco-friendly dry cooler heat exchange system to outperform every other comparable solution. Learn more at questclimate.com. The power of networking with business owners on the ground in other cannabis markets provides many lessons. As your own state comes online or transitions from medical to adult use, there's a bit of a traveled path that you can investigate to learn more. Even state regulators do this, dispatching policymakers to Colorado and elsewhere in the search for a suite of rules that will fit their own marketplace. The industry has changed a lot in seven years. And seven years from now, in 2028, who knows? but core business and compliance principles remain. That's why, even as barriers to entry shift around from state to state, from year to year, it's key to build a solid foundation for your vision, that very important why that will propel you into cannabis.
1: From that standpoint, the barrier to entry is very low, but when, you, when you're when you having unclear rules going into it, I think it also is when you want to be mindful of, of the outlay. In our view, you know, making that investment for a license wasn't too big to impede whether we decided not to do it or not, but we wanted to make sure we were one of the first ones to get in and start to kind of see that process. Um, you know, I'll give Oklahoma credit. I mean, I think for what, what it's, you know, MMA's had to go through with, you know, you know 10,000, over 10,000 business licenses and all these patient licenses, I think they've done a good job of laying the program out.
0: So what sort of lessons did the Resonant team take from their travels to other state markets? You know,
1: there was a lot of lessons we learned from some of these groups, good and bad, along the way. Um, You know, probably the biggest thing was, you know, this kind of thought of controlling our destiny. And where, you know, trying to make it where, you know, we own our building, own the land, you know, be able to make the decisions on our own without having other parties involved to make those for us. And so that was something along the way. And I think that really comes into licensing, too, of making sure you have clean records and good legal done with operating agreements and, and the various things that the regulators at some point are going to need to see. Um, this culture of compliance, you know, make it where don't don't be a problem. Don't invite problems into your organization and, and follow those rules because at some point you will get checked on them and uh, you want to make sure that you have all, all those kind of clean activity. So it, it's been great to, to leverage other states' experience. And I think now other folks are coming to Oklahoma to see that too. It's starting, to, the roles are somewhat starting to reverse to a certain extent. Um, as our states continue to see set, success. And also, it's a program that's unlike a lot of the others just because of this free market approach that's happening here.
0: We've remarked earlier in this series on the importance of community outreach, getting to know your neighbors and demonstrating to the locals who you are as a business owner or a team. If cannabis is coming to town, then you'd better clearly explain what that means. In Resonance Case, the team had a firm connection to Paul's Valley, just south of Oklahoma City. And if that close-to-home geography works out for your own journey, it's a good thing. But it wasn't a done deal from day one. Hendricks and the rest of the team worked through an evolution of their business goals to find a place to settle down and build out back home.
1: Yeah, so we, you know, early on we, we were looking at, um, you know, we the the initial vision of our grow was um, kind of the warehouse industrial style in Oklahoma City, and we had some relationships of folks who had a, you know, you know, I think it, the overall was a you know several hundred thousand square feet, and it was a large space, and we were not going to occupy that much. But we're looking at basically building kind of an, an interior grow within a building, and that fell through. Unfortunately, it did. It, it would not have worked. It would have been you know, there's a lot of things that would have could have you know really gone wrong with that, and so, um, and, and that was a big. Shock to our company you know at that point we were probably about five minutes five months in we had our license we were kind of ready to start designing plans and putting walls up and hanging lights and um, when that fell through it 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 one it kind of was a good gut check of okay you know are you really ready for you know this industry but then second it put us down this path of well let's look at building something from the ground up tailored to what we want that's efficient from a workflow optimization, uh, you know, efficient with energy consumption and all those various things. So, um, of our, our, our team, our founder, founder and partnership team, three of us are, you know, from or, or live in the Paul's Valley area. So, uh, it made perfect sense to locate the facility in an area that's convenient, especially for two of my partners who are, are head cultivators and, and run, the, uh, run the grow facility. And, and so we you know, were able to, um, because of their families living in this community for you know, many generations now, um, had a lot of great relationships to you know, acquire land in a convenient place that had access to power and water and the infrastructure you need.
0: The conditions lined up. There's a bit of serendipity to the process, like we've noted here, and a bit of recognition. The team recognized the connections around them in Oklahoma the family lineage, and good network of people who could help them lift a business out of the land. And when you notice those conditions lining up, you've got to take the leap. Remember Michael Ward's comments from episode two? Close your eyes, throw a dart at the dartboard, and hope you hit a spot that A is opted in, B has an ordinance, C has zoning, and it, it was
1: not an easy process. It is not for the lighthearted, I can tell you that it allowed us to really build a great team of people we trust and that that want to be part of our team that, that work at resident mean, our our team are i'll put us up against anybody in the industry i mean top to bottom um we may not be the biggest but um we're definitely you know focused on quality and, and, and output and do a great job um, but you know that whole kind of it's funny when you think about how the path goes of, you go down this path of this warehouse and the lease and all these things. And then you realize, you, know, you think that the world's ended when all this stuff falls through, but it's such a big blessing and it allowed us to pivot and to, to go into an environment that's much more conducive to success. And to also having that ability to you know somewhat, um, control kind of where, where we're going to end up in this industry. So, um, and, and having that, you know, the other part about Paul's Valley and, and really this area of Oklahoma is we're invested there. I mean, we you know, want to be part of the community. My, my partners have other businesses there, um, employ people, um, contributors to, you know, from a, from an economic standpoint, but also just a charitable standpoint, we want to be involved. We want to be engaged and we want to show, you know, a part of Oklahoma. That's a rural part of Oklahoma of how successful this can be. And finally, think about it, you know, Oklahoma is an agriculture state, I and mean, that's what, you know, for you know, agriculture and oil, this is an energy, is, is really where we're at. And so this is just another form of farming. And so it made perfect sense to be in a farming community um, with, with our
0: growth. Normalization is another key word here. That's part of a cannabis business's local engagement efforts too. Look at the short-term, mid-term, and long-term view of cannabis. We can't know the future but sales projections get into the $41-$42 billion range in the U.S. by 2025, according to new frontier data. The consumer base is growing and growing more sophisticated. It's part of the broader normalization process as this new industry emerges from its former illicit market or gray market status around the country. In getting to know your local community, the normalization process happens over time.
1: And one of the interesting things about the Oklahoma rules, too, is that it, they, the state question 788 has, you know, a very broad sentence that basically says, you know, no municipality or, or city is allowed to, you know, do zoning to unduly allow, you know, businesses to, to be there. And so some cities have added some ordinances, but um, Paul's Valley is not one. And um, I know there's, you know, other other grows there. And I, I think early on, you know, when this is all happening, you know, it raised some eyebrows. Uh, you know, people were... Um, you know, I mean, you know, in Oklahoma again, it's a conservative state. I mean, it did pass fairly overwhelmingly, but broadly, especially in more rural communities, you know, cannabis maybe is not something that um, is is you know highly viewed upon. Um, but but I know I have certain examples of, of people that we know in, in communities, whether it's you know Oklahoma, excuse me, the Oklahoma City area that I live in, or, or Pauls Valley, where my, all of our partners are at is that somewhere along the way, most people have been positively impacted by cannabis with with somebody in their family. I know know, some of the people I care about closely that have thought um, terminal illnesses and cannabis became a treatment for them, or um, uh, people who have um, severe autism or epilepsy seizures for cannabis has been a therapeutic drug that actually does help their their symptoms and and it eliminates cabinet full of medicine bottles. The tide is turning, but early on, there was certain friction, I think, that, you know, we, we wanted to be aware of. But, um, we, you know, again, you know, our view on this is go make relationships with the community, uh, try to, and, and we had those deep, kind of lasting relationships already with people. They knew our team. They knew that, you know, if our group's, you know, doing this, that we're not up to, you know, trouble. We're not trying to cause a problem. And we we're also very strategic about where we located our building, where it's, you know, not around other homes, you know, so we're not impacting people with noise or, of course, the odor that comes with it, especially around, you know, your harvest cycles and whatnot. So trying to just be a good neighbor to people, I think, helps too, um, where you're not, you know, creating problems.
0: And as we've mentioned a few times in this series, the past year has placed a new type of premium on the art of being a good neighbor. Life in pandemic America hasn't been easy. And no one in the cannabis business has been immune from that fact. But in the tight economic quarters that the pandemic revealed in the U.S., a booming new industry like cannabis can be a real gift to everyone in the vicinity. As the jobs market took a hit in the spring of 2020, cannabis, by and large, stepped up. Resonance's earliest wholesale transactions were happening right as things started to shut down around the U.S. last year.
1: Allowed us to maintain employment for people with good jobs in a, in a great environment to work for um, and work with during a time that was really challenging during you know, our, our kind of in our country, our state, our cities, and so on.
0: If you're interested in learning more about the licensing process and you're listening to this series as it's released, join us at Cannabis Conference 2021 in Las Vegas. The show runs from August 24th to the 26th and an all-access pass gets you into our Create a Winning License Application session. Securing a Canvas business license is one of the most critical and perhaps one of the most daunting first steps in launching a business in this increasingly complex and competitive industry. Make your application stand out from the crowd with takeaways from this can't-miss session for any new or expanding business. We are going to continue releasing episodes over the next three weeks, every Friday, introducing you to characters around the business who found their way through the tangled licensing process and who have plenty of advice for anyone interested in following along. We're going to continue releasing episodes over the next three weeks, every Friday, introducing you to characters around the business who found their way through the tangled licensing process and who have plenty of advice for anyone interested in following along. In the meantime though, we're all ears at Cannabis Business Times. Is there something you want to hear in this podcast or in a future series? Is there a story that you think sheds light on the licensing landscape in the US? Send me an email anytime. I'm at esandy at gie.net. GIE is our publishing company. Or reach out on Twitter at CBT Mag. We're here to serve the market. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Business Times. Our sound editors are Alexander Garrett and Jay Boyden and this series is brought to you by Quest.